0: Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord Jesus, dear friends. The part of God's Word that we'll be taking a look at this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. In these verses, Paul is really addressing an issue that was going on in so many of the congregations at this time. As the Gospel was spreading throughout the Gentile world, congregations were trying to figure out how to bring These two groups of people together to live in peace in the church. The Jewish believers and all the baggage that they brought with them. And the Gentile believers and all of the baggage that they brought with them. How do you wrap these two groups up into one family and have peace? That's what Paul talks about in these verses. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit.
1: This is the word of our Lord. A church where all are welcome. That's what God wants. That's what His vision for the church is. And the
0: Scriptures are very clear about that. Just a little earlier, we heard God say through the prophet Isaiah that foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations.
1: All are welcome. In our
0: Gospel today, we saw the way that Jesus interacted with that Canaanite woman. Even though His disciples said, Lord, send her away, Jesus made it clear that this foreigner was welcome. Even commending her great faith. There are so many passages that demonstrate this same truth. So many invitations that we find in the Scripture for all people to come and find peace and rest in Jesus. So many examples of Jesus reaching out to all different sorts of people. To rulers, to priests, to Pharisees, to tax collectors, to lepers, and even to fishermen.
1: All are welcome. And then there's that
0: scene around God's throne in heaven that's displayed in the book of Revelation. Multitudes from every nation, tribe, language, and people dressed in white and standing around the Lamb of God
1: in glory. God's vision for the church is that it be a place where all people are welcome. And so, Many churches have adopted that little slogan, all are welcome.
0: How many church signs or how many church websites haven't included that little phrase at one time or another? How many of God's people, when talking with somebody who kind of wondered, do I really have a place in the church, haven't quickly said, you know, don't worry, all are welcome here surprised me a little bit when I did a quick online search of that phrase to see just how much has been written about those three little words. Most of it follows along these lines that people like to say that all are welcome, but they don't necessarily mean that. The implication or the accusation, I suppose, is that while most Christians believe that the church should be a place where all are welcome not so many churches are always willing to go that far. And on the other hand, there are all kinds of examples out there of churches who have adopted this little slogan that's certainly rooted in the Scriptures, but then used it to kind of overrule all sorts of other clear teachings of God's Word. So what do we make of it? I mean, if we're convinced from God's Word that the church is to be a place where all are welcome, what should that look like? What does that mean exactly?
1: These verses from Ephesians 2 today give us some insight. But first of all, we have to recognize this truth, that in reality, no one should be
0: welcome in the presence of a holy God. Isaiah 59 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. Psalm 24 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart.
1: But can anyone really make that claim?
0: Romans chapter 3 says no. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is, there is no one who does good, not even one. Since by nature all people are sinful, then by nature there is no one who should be welcome in the presence of a holy God. And that was certainly true for both of the groups that the Apostle Paul was writing to in the city of Ephesus. And both of them would have, would have agreed with that truth, especially as it pertained to the other group. There are many Jewish Christians who were quick to point out all of the idolatry and sexual immorality that was going on in the Gentile world. How could people like that ever be welcomed into God's church? Of course, they conveniently forgot about all of the examples of idolatry and immorality from their own history. Think about things like that case of the golden calf when they were in the wilderness. The countless times that they ran after Baal worship and everything that went along with it once they got into the promised land. The Jews had their own issue. There are many Gentile believers who like to point out the spiritual pride and hypocrisy that was so prevalent among the Jewish people how they thought that they were spiritually superior to so many others simply because of their heritage, how they had convinced themselves that they could please God and do what He requires simply by their outward obedience to His law. But of course, the Gentiles had their own issues with pride as well. They also failed to live in line even with the natural law that God had given them. The truth is, both of these groups in Ephesus fell short of what God demands. At the very beginning of chapter 2 in this letter, Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. And just in case there were any Jewish Christians in Ephesus who thought that Paul was talking about the Gentiles here, Paul continues and says, No, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath.
1: So again, there is no one who should find welcome into God's church or in the presence of a holy God. So the
0: only way then that God's vision for the church That it be a place that welcomes all people can be realized is through Jesus.
1: Our welcome, everyone's welcome,
0: depends entirely on Him. Paul says it like this But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. He came and preached peace. Those who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews. Both groups needed this peace because both groups, by nature, again, were dead in sin and objects of God's wrath. Jesus provided this peace by tearing down what Paul calls the dividing wall of hostility. This wall that divided Jew from Gentile, this wall that divides all people from God. The dividing wall of hostility that Paul is talking about is God's law. Paul explains what he means. He says, Jesus set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations and reconciled both groups to God through the cross. Jesus set aside the law
1: by fulfilling the law. What the Jewish
0: people thought they could do, but never could. Earn God's favor and earn a welcome into his family by their obedience to the law. Jesus did perfectly. What the Gentile people really only had limited knowledge of and never even really tried to do, Jesus did. He lived a perfectly righteous life. Through faith in Jesus, Both of these groups received that righteousness from Him. Both of these groups received His perfect track record of obedience to call their very own. And what about the sins that both groups were guilty of that separated them from their God? Well, Jesus reconciled both groups to God through the cross by paying for those sins. Both groups heard that wonderful verdict pronounced from the cross that they are no longer guilty in God's sight. And so there truly was now nothing that should divide these two groups from one another. Nothing that should divide these two groups from God. Paul points out, especially for the sake of the Gentiles in this congregation, but it's true for all those who are believers in Jesus, that we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Through Jesus, we are all welcome. So you see, whether it was people coming out of that background of spiritual pride, hypocrisy, and work righteousness, or people coming out of the background of idolatry and sexual immorality, All of them found welcome into God's church through the blood of Jesus.
1: All are welcome.
0: Is there anyone in our world today to whom that little slogan doesn't apply? Is there any kind of sin that immediately rules out somebody from being a part of God's family? Is there any kind of sinner? who even through the blood of Jesus can't find a welcome in God's house? The answer is no. Jesus came for all people. Jesus lived a perfect life for all people. He died on the cross for the sins of all people and rose again to assure all people that God accepted that payment made on their behalf. And now through the Gospel, He reaches out and calls all people to find forgiveness
1: peace in him. The church that God envisions is a place where all are welcome. Thanks to Jesus, the church is exactly that. But here's where this little slogan
0: gets skewed and abused. Sometimes people take this to mean that When God welcomes people into His church, He welcomes them to continue on in their lives as they always have. As if nothing at all needs to change. But that certainly wasn't the case for these two groups of people in Ephesus. It wasn't the case anywhere where Paul brought this message of grace to people. Things do change when the Gospel comes. When God welcomes people into his family, he connects them with Jesus and everything that that means. Paul says it like this, now as members of God's family, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. As God welcomes people into his family through Jesus, he also goes to work to align those people with Jesus and His Word. In other words, having been welcomed through the blood of Christ, we know that things in our life are now going to change. They have to. For those Jewish believers in Ephesus, they couldn't continue on with the former way of things, thinking themselves spiritually superior to everyone else, thinking that God owed them a welcome because of their obedience to the law. For those Gentile believers in Ephesus, They couldn't think they could continue on in their former way of life. That that old idolatry and immorality could simply coexist right alongside their new life in Christ. No, all of these people and all of God's people are now part of this holy temple. We are all now a place where God dwells by His Spirit. And so that old way of life, that old order
1: of things, simply no longer fits.
0: All are welcome. We have to mean that when we say it because the gospel demands it. Writing to the Romans, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that same all, no matter who you are or what you've done, that same all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The church is the one to whom God has entrusted that message of salvation, and he wants all people to hear it because all people need to hear it. But that message of welcome through Jesus doesn't mean that we are welcome to continue on as we always have. It doesn't mean that we are welcome to believe whatever we want or to live however we please. This welcome that we receive through Jesus changes us. In his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about this very thing. He lists out a number of sinful lifestyles and characteristics that marked people before coming to faith in Jesus. And some of the things that he mentions that we'll list here seem maybe more serious to us than other things. But at the same time, all of them are sins that carry along with them the wage of death. Paul mentions Sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, prostitutes, homosexuals, things that we would say are pretty serious things. And then in the very next breath, Paul talks about thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, things that maybe don't get quite as much attention. Paul tells the Corinthians, this is what some of you
1: were. But now in Christ Jesus, through His
0: blood, things have changed. Paul continues in the very next verse and says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And since that's the case, since that's the truth,
1: can we just continue on in our former way of life? In Romans 6 Paul says by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That doesn't mean that some
0: of these sins that Paul mentions and many others as well aren't still going to trouble us as God's people doesn't mean that they're still not going to raise their heads within the church of God. They certainly will and they certainly do.
1: But in this church that God has welcomed us into, we'll call them what they are, sin. And we'll address
0: them with the means that God has provided to us, the blood of Jesus. Just as God first welcomed us into his family through Jesus, so each and every day of our lives, he welcomes us to find forgiveness in Jesus. The Apostle John says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thanks to the once for all sacrifice for sin that Jesus made, the church that God envisioned will always be a place where all are welcome. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.